Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me is Charles W. Bryant. We like to call him Chuck here on Stuff You Should Know, which is what you're listening to. So there you have it. There's there's the intro, Chuck. That's nice. I'm, I'm coffeeed up now, so I'm... I'm Firing on all pistons. Are you? Yeah, I got the shakes, Chuck. I'm you ready do? to go. Yeah, let's do it. Have you? Uh, you, you know much about homelessness, there, Chuck? Not really. Have you ever heard that um, homelessness really began to take steam in America uh, in the '60s, '70s, and '80s when states started just shutting down mental institutions? I have heard that actually. And uh, this this part is unsubstantiated, but I, I since I say it's a, a rumor, I'm going to just continue it anyway. How about that? Sounds good. Um, the, the, apparently in New York, there was a series of shutdowns in the 80s. Ronald Reagan's often blamed for this, although he didn't have any necessarily direct hand in shutting down mental institutions. Right. Not like, you're insane, you're out on the street. Right. But it was under his administration that a lot of them uh, uh, went under, sure. basically. And, you know, you have all these um, mentally infirm people. Right. Uh, and now they have nowhere to live. So apparently in the state of New York... They gave them a bus ticket, like 50 bucks, and sent them to New York City. Really? And the homeless population has just shot through the roof since the 60s. Right. And that of makes course, sense. There, there was homelessness before. The Great Depression was a big time for homelessness uh-huh. and hoboism, which is a word I just made up. Um, but it, it really, really picked up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And, right. And now we have the homeless problem that we have today. Um and it's uh, th- this is not to say that you know if you're a homeless person you're you're uh, mentally unstable it's that's not necessarily the case but the the cu- the the closing down of state institutions right. around the com- the country really had that effect right right that's sad and i do know that you know a lot of homeless people are suffering from various forms of mental illness so sure. that that kind of makes sense well they're also expanding the definition of homeless um homelessness before uh usually just encompassed somebody who had no home or was staying in a shelter. Right. Um, and they expanded it to include people who are living in like weekly motels, uh, staying on other people's couches. Interesting. And apparently that just shot the numbers through the roof. Wow. Yeah, sure. So apparently in 2007, um, the estimated number by the National Alliance to End Homelessness for homeless people on the streets uh, was about 671,000 and change, almost 672,000 people, right? So that doesn't include the college dude crashing on his buddy's couch no, I don't during think the, so. uh, the fish tour? Uh, no, no. Okay. And actually, that's pretty funny that you say that, because I used to have a friend named uh, Hippie Rob <laughs> who was staying at my house for a really long time, and he he would not leave, right? right. You know, and I, I liked him a lot. He was a good friend, but man, yeah. he really knew how to mooch, right? Sure. And he was staying on my couch. Finally, one day, I took uh, Hippie Rob to Kmart and said, here's 20 bucks, buy a good tent. Right. And he bought a tent, and I put him in the car with his tent and drove him to the woods. It was like, see you later. It was a lot like that scene from AI Uh where the mom drops off uh, young David the robot. Right. Um, And uh, it was less sad, though. Wow, that's an incredible story. That is a true story. He He was squatting in your own house. He was, actually. It's funny that you mentioned squatting since this is the, the, uh, the title of this podcast, right? Do you like that? So my homeless uh, segue 
was really intended to uh, serve as a ju- juxtaposition between um, the number of people homeless on mm-hmm. the streets, which is about 672,000, with the number of vacant housing units in the U.S. that same year, right? Uh, which was uh, 16.7 million. Interesting. So basically, what we what we have in this country is a homeless problem with a clear solution. There, there's vacant houses, and yet people are on the street still. Right. Um, so why don't we just move them in to vacant houses? Right. I, it would be a little tricky, I guess, but it seems possible. Actually, there are people who are doing it right now. Really? Uh, yeah. There's this uh, group called um, Take Back the Land down uh-huh. in Miami, um, and they have been staging uh, basically homeless move-ins into vacant housing down there. Now, is this and, new housing or stuff that's been abandoned? I think or? it's both. Okay. A bank-owned, foreclosed, stuff that's been on the market forever. Uh-huh. Um, and Miami apparently just got reamed by the subprime mortgage fallout. Oh, really? And there's plenty of houses to go around. Mm-hmm. So these people are just moving them in there. Um, same with Homes Not Jails. Right. Who are basically, their their mission is to stop the the court system from just jailing homeless people. Right. Um, so they're, and they're, they're the San Francisco Tenants Union. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are saying, there's an empty house right there. This person is homeless, whether it's because they are insane right. or they're down on their luck. Right. doesn't matter. Basically, it's the distinction between whether or not housing is a basic human right. Sure. It, you know, is it? Isn't it? it? Under capitalism? No, it's not. If right. you don't have the money, you're on the street whether this is vacant or not, right? Right. So, okay, we're talking about squatting, Chuck. Yes. Let's let's go. Let's give a little background on squatting. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to give a little background on squatting? Well, uh, sure, Josh. Can you define squat? Yes. It's uh, when you actually live in a place uh, or on a parcel of land that's uh, unused. Or not yours. Yeah, not not yours and not you. Yeah, we should make the distinction because if you move into a house with a family already living there, you've just committed home invasion and right. you're you're in big trouble. Right. So it's an empty house. It's not yours or or a piece of land. Yeah. And, and you've moved in or camped out on it and stayed there. Right. And that means you are squatting. Right. That is squatting. Yes. In, in, right there. Um. Which would probably be the end of the story, right? Because if you own that land or you own that house and you have a squatter, you would think all you would have to do is go in, pull a gun on them, and run them off. Right. Right? Or, or more peaceably, ask them to leave. Yeah, I, squatters don't involved. usually... I think somebody who uh, leaves if you ask them to was just crashing at, at that place. Right. A squatter is one who just says, no, Right. I'm not moving. Well, you would think it'd be that cut and dry, but it's actually not... Um, that cut and dry because no. squatters can actually are protected in certain ways. Yeah. There, there's this thing called, uh, well, there's property rights, the right of a, a landowner or a homeowner, right? Right. Um, there's also tenants' rights. Yes. Uh, where if you uh, rent like I do, um, I, I can't just be kicked out of my house because the landlord got sick of me. There's a lease. There's a right. conta- There's a contractual obligation. There's laws that guide that along. The thing is, is in... I think every state, the these same rights are extended to squatters, mm-hmm, and are. a tenant right actually kicks in in Georgia after three days. 
Really? Yeah. So if you have uh, an annoying house guest over for a long weekend, uh-huh. at the end of the three days, if they don't feel like moving, you got a problem on your hands. Yeah. That's why I refuse to have any house guests for longer than two days. Yeah. That's, that's the house rule. It's just a good policy. It's a mm-hmm. good rule of thumb, right? Two days and you're out. So, um, all right. We've got property rights. We have tenants' rights. And, and basically, as an extension of the tenants' rights... Um, there's also this thing called adverse possession, right? which is the ultimate nightmare of somebody who has a squatter. Right. We heard a little bit back from fans about uh, when we did our Gorilla Gardening podcast Mm -hmm. about someone beautifying um, like a strip of public land. Right. Potentially that could lead to uh, adverse possession. So that's a reason that someone might not want that. Yeah. I think uh, the the technical definition of adverse possession is – uh, living openly, continuously, and hostily. Yeah. And hostily isn't like you're chasing, you know, little kids around your yard right. with a stick. It's you're you're not moving if they ask you to. Well, yeah, and it means you don't have permission. Right. Um. They uh, you have to live there for a set period, right? Right. Um. And that's usually state by state. In California, if you can do that for five years, uh-huh. um, you own the property. Right. In West Virginia, it's ten. In Texas, it's thirty. But I think every state, again, has a, a rule of adverse possession. They do. So basically, if you live there, if you are, especially if you're keeping the place up, that kind of thing, uh-huh. and people know you're living there, uh, once that, that time period comes up, you can go pay the property taxes, and that's yours. Right. That's the key, though, I think, is the property taxes. Right. I think that makes it official. I imagine that that almost never happens, that ever, adverse possession takes place, right? You think? Well, I mean, in this day and age with this many people crawling on the planet, you know, True. land land is it's important. It's expensive, right? Well, I'm gunning for it. Is this time? Is it time for my squatting story? Yeah, please. I'm a squatter, Josh. Oh yeah, that's right. Remember I know this? what you're talking about. Yeah, are you sure you want to talk about this, Chuck? Yeah, because no, the, this is no one knows where I live. Um, my house that I bought has right. a, has a little strip of land behind it, very small strip of land about 100 feet by 40 feet, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the previous owner of the home had that um, sectioned off for some reason. And it's c- technically separate from my property. Right. Uh, we never heard from this guy, and we moved in, and that's half of that strip of land is, is most of my backyard. So Emily and I decided that, you know, we're just going to put our fence up, put our privacy fence up, plant grass, and, you know, claim possession of this land. <laughs> if we never hear from this guy, we checked with the county, and there were... Uh, years of back taxes owed on it that mm-hmm. he he clearly abandoned. He thought I guess he thought he could build something on it, but there is, there's not enough room. You have to have variances, be a certain amount from the, the curb and all that to build right. something. So he couldn't build anything on it, and basically just kind of dumped it. Um, so we have claimed it as our own, and we've been in the house for I think three years now. Have you been living hostily? We have been living very hostily. <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, what's the time limit in Georgia? Do you know? I'm not I'm not positive. I believe it's seven years, but we need to look that up for sure. And we've also been in touch with the county about the the back taxes still haven't been paid. And when it comes time, we're going to pay the taxes and claim it as our own. Nice, yeah. nice. Keep keep living the dream, Chuck. <laughs> keep fighting the good fight, right? Keep squatting. And uh, well, there. In addition to living continuously, openly, and hostily, right? Um, there's actually some steps that a, a squatter can take to basically lay claim on a place, right? Right. Um, if you're keeping if you're keeping a place up, if you clean it up, maybe plant some. Shrubs, like we did, something like that. Yeah, planting grass. Um, you're 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 saying you're laying claim on the place, and you're also sh- you're also showing that 
it, it's actually going to it's doing better in your possession whether you really own it or not. Right, you've which goes a long it. way too. Um, but let's say you move into a place, you throw up some curtains, mm-hmm. plant a couple of bushes, maybe you borrow a lawnmower from a friend with a house, and you cut the lawn, something like that. Right, and um, you you you've set up house, right? One of the first things you can expect is a, a visit from the cops. Right. Because if you, if you live in a neighborhood and the, a house has been empty and all of a sudden there's somebody living in it, uh, especially somebody who dries their shirts on a clothesline out front, um, they're, they're going to take notice and they're going to call the cops on you. True. But uh, there's, there's not a lot a cop can do, though. No, there's not. Um, this is If you can prove tenant rights, mm-hmm. that you are staying there, whether you're supposed to be or not, Right. Right. Um, one good way to do this is to go to the utility company and ask to have the power turned on. Right. And start paying a power bill there. Which you can put do it in your easily. name. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to prove ownership. I never have had to. I haven't either. Um, you just go and set up a uh, um, uh, an account, mm-hmm. start paying, and then you have bills that are coming in your name to that address. Right. If the cops show up to your house, you get to show them this, and they say. Good enough for me. And what you've just done is shifted the burden of proof that you're not supposed to be there from you, the squatter, to the landlord. Right. And it's which now is a huge headache for a landlord. Right. And it becomes a civil matter. It is a civil matter. The cops are immediately taken out of the, the equation. Indeed. I have to tell you, um, when I first researched this article, I was very much gung ho, like squatters' rights. Let's, you know, put the homeless in homes. And, and I get that. Like, I still feel that. Right. Um, but I, I was kind of brought down to earth a little bit when I interviewed our uh, COO, Mike Cascone. Yes. Who actually had a long, harrowing story with a squatter. Yeah. Um, really he, fascinating. He had like a rental place, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he had a tenant that had a lease, and the lease came up, and the tenant moved out. But the tenant had a friend staying there, and the friend didn't move out. And she said, I'm not moving. Sorry, bud. Right. And so Cascone says that when you, you think all the things that you can do to get rid of somebody uh, who's a squatter, uh-huh. you, you can't do. Right. Like, you can't turn off the power. Right. You can't turn off the water. Um, you basically have to make sure that they're comfortable and safe right. you in, can actually the, get in your place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get big time fined. Right. Um, and he also said he spent, you know, several thousand dollars in court fees and, and, um, you know, things like, uh, having subpoenas delivered, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, uh, and missed work ha- getting this person out of his place. Right. And good luck getting, you know, a refund on anything like that. Right. Or, oh, or getting the squatter to no pay way. you back. Right. Yeah, yeah, no. I don't think she had much money. No. Um, That's why she was squatting. Yeah. So that was, uh, that kind of changed my, my attitude a little bit. At the very least, now I start to, I see it from both sides. Uh huh. You know, because there is, there is a victim in it. Uh, even though when you're talking about putting the homeless in housing, it's kind of tough to see it that way, but, but there definitely is. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, how to get a squatter out? <laughs> yeah, tell me. Well, I think there are legal avenues that you need to go through. Uh, if you're a landlord, right, which does not include, uh, like we said, turning off the water and power because you can get in trouble for that. Right. Uh, if, if you're a landlord, you can basically you need to call an attorney if you have a squatter. Don't make a move. Just say, I'd like you to get out. They say no. You say to be continued and go get a lawyer. Okay. But they're, the, the landlord, that's tough. You know, that, that you usually, if you're an individual landlord, you don't have... You know, vast resources. So the the great enemy of the common squatter is gentrification, urban renewal, because all of a sudden you have developers in the equation. Right. And developers tend to have much deeper pockets and possibly 
fewer scruples right. than the individual landlord. There's actually a squat, um, a house that was being squatted in uh, down the street from me really? a couple of years back. Yeah, it was bad. Um, and one day it wasn't there anymore. So tore guy, it down. The guy just tore it down. Interesting. Yeah. The developer did? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it wait, waited till the person was out of the house or just showed up with a I don't know. Um, I've seen a couple of people who were squatting in the house walking around since then. So I guess right. he gave him a chance to get out. But the house isn't there anymore. Interesting. Which is really kind of cynical, uh, a little sour, I should say, um, because now it's just an empty piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess he really didn't want people staying in his house. Yeah. So he sent the wrecking ball through. Right. And and so urban renewal in, gen- in general, once you have the presence of developers, but not just developers, um, you know, and upwardly mobile people uh, who really don't want squatters hanging around and bringing par- property values back down, right? Right. Um, so if you're if you're a squatter, you're in trouble once a, once a place gets tapped for you know gentrification. Right. And I would guess, and this is a generalization, but that most people that move and squat into a, a place that's abandoned probably don't do massive improvements in. No. You know, it's it's probably not that kind of situation. No, I can tell you the squat down the street for me was was not the case. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, but I I am in a, a in an area that's being gentrified as we speak, right? Uh-huh. Um, and apparently Geneva, Switzerland, went through a similar thing in the '90s. There was a group called Rhino, and they were basically political activist squatters, right? And at its peak, this group held 150 apartment buildings. Apartment buildings, not apartment units, in the city, um, and all of a sudden there's this uh, urban renewal uh, movement that comes through Geneva, and by 2007 they had like 27, which is still a substantial amount of apartment buildings, but compared to 150, you can see once a, once an area is targeted like this, then then there's nothing you can do. Right, basically they, they, you have to move out to the sticks. Sure, they've also done this in uh, London and Denmark, uh, just to name a couple. Yeah, yeah. Now there is a. There is squatting can be good to some extent. How's that? Okay, so there's this uh, Peruvian economist. His name is Hernando de Soto. Very nice. Thank you. Um, and he created a what he called a roadmap to wealth, uh-huh. and it was specifically designed for um, post-Soviet former satellite countries right. that were making the transition from communism to the free market. Um, and one of the one of the um, facets of this, one of the major parts of it was that squatters on rural land, the rural poor who were just like living on land and shanties and that kind of thing, right. their land, the land that they were squatting on should be um, parceled up and they should go register it. And then by being landowners, they would have credit available to them, which should conceivably get the economy co- going. Right. Interesting theory. And it's unproven, but it's actually being tried uh, in a country called uh, Pridnestrovi, uh-huh. which is um, an unrecognized nation uh, that used to formerly be, be part of uh, Moldova. Interesting. Um, so we'll see if it happens. Right. See if they get their seat at the UN. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see. Only time will tell. And if they do, you can bet that it's going to be because of Hernando de Soto. Right. And they'll probably put him on some sort of currency. Yeah, probably. Or a statue, at least. So that's uh, that's squatting, right, Chuck? Squatting. I will continue to squat, and uh, maybe in a few years, if we're still doing this podcast, mm-hmm. then I'll let everyone know how it went. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how this goes. Yeah, I too. hope you didn't just uh, out yourself. I don't think so. Okay, good. So um, you got anything else? You want, you want to get something off your chest, maybe? Maybe a little listener mail? All right, let's hear it. Uh, Josh, this comes to us, and I'm not going to read this person's name because it's slightly sensitive. We'll just say that the name starts with a G. 
And uh, G wrote us about the Delta Force podcast. And here's what G oh, had. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. Here's what G had to say. Uh, the podcast reminded me of a friend I used to have at work. When Ronald Reagan started doing his war on drugs, my friend, let's call him John, was removed from the military and sent on these black ops, black operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, an amount of money would be left in a safe deposit box in the, in the Mark's area. And the Mark was someone he had to kill. Yeah. Uh, with a photo of the Mark and some other information. Uh, the Mark is, was usually a drug lord or a higher-up deemed too big of a threat. So John and his partner would use the money to buy local guns and supplies, then head out and snipe the, the, the person. Wax him. Yeah, wax him. And this is, you know, this guy would tell these stories in the break room, evidently. Uh, he said it wasn't a one-day operation. They had to set up camp the night before and set up landmines around their camp. So anyone uh, coming in would uh, get tripped up by the landmine coming in trying to kill them. And he says, uh, on countless occasions, he would hear an explosion, think an assassin was coming to kill him, only to find uh, a shredded cow had uh, happened upon the landmine. Yeah. And so... Cows are always the innocent bystanders, aren't they? So this is an amazing story, and I don't know if it's true, but I don't see no reason why this person would write in and make all this up. So it sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, G. That story is absolutely nuts. And uh, if you have an amazing or harrowing tale of cows being blown up or people being greased... Or you just want to say hi, you can send an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?